Hey, everybody. It is Thursday and we're kicking off today. We look, you thought that we were kidding, but we're not. Yeah, Here that's right. I'm, I'm going to start actively trading on the show. Uh, J trades will occur, uh, not day trading or J trading. Uh, this is not investment advice. But today I'm going to talk about my first investment. I've never traded public stocks before. I've always been an index fund, Vanguard, low fee index funds, and then put all my risk in doing startup investing, Molly. But I, I feel like this is a unique opportunity. And so I'm going to put a million or $2 million into equities, and I'm going to trade it live here on the show and uh, tell you my thinking, because we talk about the viability of all these companies. And today's investment is a really interesting one. It is. I think that you all will find this interesting, too, from the perspective of hearing an investor talk about investing in a totally different context, hmm. which is public equity. So like, yes. I'm excited to compare the thinking on both of these things. And we have a new segment to get back to our Roots ah, Series yeah. A and M&A. We're going to be talking about an interesting Series A startup. And then in the um, search space, in the search space, Jason's yes. got a lot of th I'm not saying I baited you, you did. with this one, but I trigger. may have... Like I like to say, Trigger put a little warning. Velveeta on that hook and toss it into the water. <laughs> <laughs> Trigger warning, mahalo. <laughs> and uh, and M&A. We talk a little bit about M&A and some VC firms wanting to get into the M&A business. And then we're going to cover Stripe's 409A valuation and why it's a bit of a clickbait story in the Wall Street Journal and just what 409A valuations are and how they work. Yeah, private company valuations, super interesting topic. And then, of course, we have to cover the Netflix-Microsoft partnership, what it means for both of those, those companies. Who is the winner yeah. in that deal? Yeah, Netflix is going to have an ad-supported tier uh, by the end of this year, we understand. And then we're going to wrap up with Peloton deciding that they're no longer going to build their own hardware. They're going to outsource it to Taiwan. And if that's a big deal, a good sign or a bad sign for the absolutely troubled company, which is trading at under $3 billion now. Tell you who is a winner though you because it's going to be a great show <laughs> it's going to be a great show stick with us this week in startups is brought to you by liquid iv making hydration a priority will help you feel better on a day-to-day -day basis get 25 percent off at liquidiv.com by using promo code twist wealthfront wealthfront makes it easy to invest and easy to grow your savings with a diversified portfolio that balances your other riskier bets. To start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free, go to wealthfront.com slash twist. And Harmonic. Need to speed up your growth without speeding up your burn? Harmonic gives investment, sourcing, and sales teams data superpowers. Learn how A16Z, Craft, Notion, Brex, and many more source better leads and qualify them faster. Get $4,000 off at harmonic.ai slash twist. All right, everybody. In our first story, a uh, good friend of mine, Bill Gurley, a venture capitalist from Benchmark, has bought uh, a million shares of Stitch Fix yesterday for a total of $5.4 Stock popped 10-15% on the news. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Stitch Fix is a styling service that uses recommendation algorithms to give you personalized outfits. Tell us a little bit more about it, Molly. Yeah, I ha have been a um, Stitch Fix user on and off for many years. I actually wrote a big cover story about them for the New York Times not long mm -hmm. after they launched. 
about this idea of them doing like really curated styling. They built this really actually pretty impressive AI mm. uh, platform combined with human stylists to kind of recommend clothes for you. And mm. the way that it would work is you would sign up as a subscriber. You'd get this box of things that were picked out for you by a stylist. But mm. in combination, the stylist would sort of already be on third base because the algorithm would be like, oh, this person took this quiz, they picked these things, and then previously mm. they have enjoyed these things. So it would get like a pre-curated list to an How individual stylist. How long have you been a customer? I think I wrote that story in the Times in like 2017 mm -hmm. is how long I've been using Stitch Fix. Now, to be fair, I sort of stopped using ah. it for a while. So the way it works is you get this box of like five items that are pre-selected for you. Mm -hmm. Whatever you want to keep, you keep. Whatever mm -hmm. you don't want, you send back. And they would give you Got like it. a discount if you bought all five things. And oh, cool. then uh, they have sort of evolved as a product. They launched an actual like shopping service that... Mm suggest things that go with the stuff they've already sent you it's very clever mm. that's actually very clever you use another um, service right that's related so what happened is i stopped wanting to have new clothes showing up all the time ah, yes. and, it's, and now i use rent the runway rent the runway where i just get four new things every month wear them until i'm bored with them and then you send them back and it's literally more Got like it. a rental service and i like that because it's a little more sustainable it's used stuff do, you know. does stitch fix do they either of them offer the other service yet or and would you consider them contemporaries Rent the runway, you can buy the things that you rent if you like them. So you can keep them. And so in that way, it's a bit of a Stitch Fix competitor. Stitch Fix does not have a try this and return it. Like try this for several months and return it the way that is rent, rent the runway, runway is. public or is it still private? Rent the we runway know? is public. It is yeah. public. Yeah, okay, we cool. might want to compare there. It would yeah, be interesting we'll to compare the market share. So, you know, but anyway, yeah, Stitch yeah. Fix has been in a little bit of trouble. Sorry to get to the point to stop shopping yes. for a second and get to the yes. point. Stitch Fix has been has had a tough narrative lately. They had a leadership yeah. change. Katrina Lake, of course, a very well known, incredible yep. founder, stepped back into executive chairwoman. Elizabeth Spaulding took over, maybe some slowing subscriber growth. There's been a lack of investor confidence. And then, of course, this big move came. Yeah. Yeah. And they also did uh, maybe a 15% cut last quarter uh, in terms of getting rid of uh, some employees, mm -hmm. a layoff. And the stock price is about five bucks and change. And the market cap is 600. Now think about that market cap is 600 million. My understanding is they peaked at about $100 a share uh, in the boom times and had $11 billion market cap. So 95% of the value has been wiped out 94%, I think, to be exact. Yeah, uh, from its peak. Ouch. Yeah. So this is one of those companies that's absolutely been decimated. I've been talking about on the show, I'd like to start trading and buying some shares in companies over the next year, because I've never traded. Uh, I've never been an active trader in stocks. I've always done index funds because I didn't have the time to put into it. Mm -hmm. But I frequently on the show, pick winners, in fact, all the time, and we do this really deep dives on them. I think I'm qualified to do this, especially with 10 years of private market investing. And since I met a lot of these companies when they were private, had them on this very show, etc. Mm -hmm. I think I have some unique insights. So I decided I would sell uh, 2 million bucks uh, of um, index funds, and I start trading them here. So I'm going to start that process today. Uh, and so I'm very frustratingly, <laughs> I haven't like been trading, I mean, have a Robinhood account uh, with some Dogecoin in it. And a bunch of I had a bunch of free shares, because I guess you get a free share for every time you get a member. So I literally had gotten oh hundreds of members and so i had hundreds or i shouldn't say that i think they capped me at 75 shares after that they wouldn't give me more free shares but because i tweeted about it early on i literally had hundreds of people 
you know, join the app, which is my mm-hmm. job as an angel investor in the company. So I literally had to sell just to clear out my account, I think 75 shares in all these little pharmaceutical companies and other things that I didn't even know. <laughs> so I was literally swiping, swiping, swiping. So I cleared out my account. I have some more money coming into it. But I decided I would make my first J trade in this company. So I just mm-hmm. bought 1500 shares today, not a lot. I think it's like whatever $6,000, $7,500 worth. Uh, and I may buy more, but I'm going to pursue a couple different strategies. And I'm going to explain them here. My strategy here is I want to get to know the company. Mm-hmm. And buying, we should be we should be clear when you say 1500 shares, you mean stitch fix. That's why stitch we fix. were in case that wasn't obvious. The reason yes. that we were talking about stitch fix is because yeah. that is the first J trade, which we should be clear is not investment advice. I'm not no, I'm just sharing you with you what I did. So before I came on air, I swiped up on my Robinhood account. This isn't an ad for Robinhood. They're not advertising the program, but I am an angel investor and shareholder. So I just decided I'd buy a, you know, a tiny little piece of it, not a lot, uh, 1500 shares to Bill Gurley's million shares. So, you know, 10 basis points of what he bought, I might buy more who knows, but I want to start making small bets. Um, and even larger size bets. And I'm going to categorize them this category of bet I'm going to put under uh, two themes. The first theme is insiders, who I respect buying mm-hmm. shares mm-hmm. bill Gurley, i can't think of somebody i respect more bought shares so i'll and, buy some shares based and on was that. and i don't think i said this earlier in the setup either it's bill, bill Gurley was an early investor in stitch fix he was yeah. really one of the people who propelled katrina lake and this company to success so him making this big investment is him saying i yeah. love this company i'm not giving up on it and it and was a big market to, mover for it yeah and i think he might still be on the board so we should i just think double check so? that but i yeah. believe he's on the board is what they said on cnbc today so um he's you know very engaged and he sees some value here so that's theme number one Mm -hmm. insiders buying shares uh dara bought shares in uber uh recently danny meyer i heard downtown josh brown uh on cnbc today he uh, danny meyer uh bought shares of his company shake shack Mm -hmm. so i think this is going to be something we'll see now you have to look at the number of shares in this case bill Gurley bought approximately one percent of the shares in the company i think if the company's got a market cap of 617 million it's rounded to 600 and he bought five six million in shares that's almost one percent right so this is not a small you know ten thousand share buy it's not 50k mm-hmm. it's a million shares or six million uh i think it's six million in value and a million right. shares so he bought a million shares got at it, got it. five dollars uh-huh. and forty cents which is like close so to six million dollars of the value yeah yeah one percent of the market cap i mean this is uh not a small bet it's a big bet uh i think now i don't know bill Gurley's exact net worth but it's a big bet uh for an insider to make and so i'm watching these you know here's the market cap you can see it got crushed since it's gone public so i'll just pull that up for a second based on those two themes i just want to deep dive into it so maybe mm-hmm. you could just give us what happened in Q3, their last quarter, uh, last fiscal quarter, uh, which was reported on June 9th? Yeah, so last fiscal quarter, uh, they reported ending the quarter with 3.9 million active customers down 200,000 or about 5% year over year. Okay. Net revenue per active customer, however, was $553, wow. up 15 percent year over yeah i mean when that's you a like, lot of money per yeah. car- wow okay i mean you Great. get these boxes in the mail and it's like yeah. 200 dollars worth of stuff and that and you can get that as much as once a month yeah okay that feels on, good you know so that yeah and if you if you want and they get you too because okay. i'm such a shopper because if you do it you get this big discount so you basically get one thing uh, for free so you always buy the whole box got anyway. it they gamified it a bit yeah 
Back to numbers. Yeah. Assets uh, in Q3, $137 million in cash on hand. Short-term investments, $97 million. Long-term investments, $48 million. So total cash plus short-term investments, $234 million. Total cash, including all of these investments, $282 million. The reason that's important is we, we don't want to catch a knife here that the company is going to run out of money. Right. So we'll eventually get to, you know, what's their profit or loss and cash flow? Like, you know, are they burning a billion dollars a quarter, in which case, oh, my God, or are they profitable? Or are they burning 50k, you know, a quarter, right? right. And have whatever amount of runway. So we'll get so to they, the runway issue in a second. Yeah, exactly. So they do have cash on hand $282 million Good. and $213 million in net inventory. Okay. Okay. Which means they could sell that theoretically in theory and get the money that from it if as if reassuring sold. to me because dumping a bunch yeah. of clothes on the market is maybe a little bit tricky, yeah. but you know. I mean if you got if they got twenty five percent of that of value and they got fifty million dollars, still, you know, a nice little a bit of cash there. There okay. we go. We just got our good on screen graphic, by the way, reminding everyone that this is not investment advice. Not investment <laughs> advice. Make your own decisions, obviously. Make your own decisions. Especially um, if you're investing in a company that's lost ninety four percent of its value you know recently like, yes <laughs> yeah um, and, and to be clear i'm investing an amount of money in this and all combined that i can afford to lose so if i lose all of it half of it if i double it whatever happens i'm good so just so we're all clear here it's it's a de minimis amount of money for me not okay. a big deal i mean it's also it is skin in the game it's like i'm gonna put a million two million bucks it's it's a million or two million bucks so it's not it's not nothing into stitch fix Mm. No, 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 total. In, in total, total in my J trading. Or J that's trading. kind of my goal is maybe to get to a million to $2 million deployed over the next six to 12 months, which I think is going to be the down market. That's my overriding thesis, Molly. The, we're going to be in a recession for six to 12 months. People don't want to buy equities. There's no buyers in the market. Therefore, maybe a good time to buy some things I might want to hold for 10 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that sure. is my outlook. I'm not trying to make 20% this year, I'm trying to make four times, three or four times my money in 10 years. In other words, I want to beat the market, you know, significantly would be my goal. It's been a hot as heck summer and I've been working my tail off. When I push my body hard like this, it's important for me to stay hydrated. And if you got a crazy work schedule, you've got to be mindful of this as well. So if you want to up your hydration game, you need to check out Liquid IV. I've been mountain biking up here in the mountains. I've been going to the beach. I've been going for long hikes. Liquid IV has saved me and my recovery has been awesome. My chief of staff, Presh, loves it as well. You know, he's a long distance runner like I used to be when I was younger. And he definitely has an intense workout schedule. After he heard about Liquid IV from this very podcast, he ordered a couple packs to try it out. And he loved it so much that he just ordered about 20 pounds of it for his runs all over San Francisco. Way to go, Presh. Mixing Liquid IV's hydration multiplier in just 16 ounces of water will hydrate you two times faster than regular water. And there are amazing flavors, watermelon, strawberry, and bottom line, Liquid IV gets you hydrated twice as fast and it tastes great. I'm addicted to this stuff. So grab Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get it for 25% off at liquidiv.com with the promo code TWIST so they know you're fans of the pod. And actually, we're going to talk a little bit more about buying in the down market yeah. with respect to venture capital in a minute. But sure. continuing with the the financial health yes. of the first J Trade investment here, yeah. Um, let's talk about revenue and profit. Okay. Net revenue yeah. in Q3 was four hundred ninety two million dollars. That was down about nine percent year over year. Okay. Cogs were two hundred eighty two million dollars. Their cost of goods sold. Got it. So gross profit here is two hundred ten million dollars. 
Yep. Yep. Net loss in Q3, $78 million, meaning they lost $60 million more in 2022 than they mm-hmm. lost in 2021. Adjusted EBITDA was $36 million. So basically taking out $31 million of stock-based comp, plus some other minor things, right. left them Which is this typical, $36 million together, number. To get a real look at the actual business, mm-hmm. taking out stock comp, that makes sense. So that's interesting to me. The, the way I would sum this up is <laughs> they're on a $2 billion run rate approximately, $500 million times four quarters, $2 billion. Yeah. Uh, and so... Company's valued at six hundred million with two billion in revenue. That does seem to be a mismatch. Gross mm-hmm. profit looks okay, and so even if they're losing a little bit of money, uh, you want to see them grow, and they have to get back to growing, and that's why this is so depressed. So I think this would then uh, fall into, you know, a change in management is another theme. So I the mean, opportunity to invest this low is because there are some challenges in the business. There are definitely some challenges in the business. I think there's sure. been slowing subscriber growth. There's this yep. kind of question about the long-term viability and competition. And then there have sure. been people, had, I think investors had a lot of confidence in Katrina Lake yep. and are not as sure about yeah, uh, Elizabeth leaving, Spalding, the new president. Yep. And, yeah. and, and frankly, in the pace of shipping new features and product. If you look at this revenue chart here, uh, the quarterly revenue chart, which is, you know, showing a bit of a challenge here, uh, during COVID or coming, uh, you had that massive dip right after COVID in 2020. And then yeah, just massive run up, right. So Mm -hmm. I guess people Mm -hmm. at home started to appreciate this. My thesis here is, you know, there's a core group of people who spend $500 a year, and perhaps undervalued and an insider buying. So you put all that together, I feel pretty good about this. Um, and the revenue growth has been up and down, which is this next chart will show revenue quarterly year over year, you see the dip when during COVID that, you know, first quarter, second quarter of, you know, 2020 was really scary, everybody, yeah. uh, you know, in lockdown, yada, yada, and then boom, they had their record quarter coming into 2021, I guess, stimmy checks, maybe paid played some part here. And then, uh, yeah, a little correction there, as I guess people went back out into the real world, maybe going to retail again. Uh, so uh, and their profit margin has been challenged as well. So a lot of challenging stuff here. The The price to sales ratio is one we talk about a lot on the show. Yeah, it's like a, uh, there's a big sale at the Stitch Fix store right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as in it's the cheapest it's been the price to sales ratio and Stitch Fix's time as a public company now around uh, 0.3. What is Amazing. that percent? Yeah, that, the, I mean, oh, that's the ratio. The ratio is 0.3. Be, yeah, right? the, so I mean, if their sales are if your sales were 2 billion here and you're valued at 600 million, three times 600 million in change is 1.8 and change, right? So they're trading at, yeah, but 0.3 times their, the value of the company is one times would be $2 billion, right? If it was mm-hmm. trading at one times their revenue, 1.9 billion or so in change, they'd be at a $1.9 million company. Instead, they're a $617 million company or, or whatever it was at the time we took that snapshot. So there it is, folks. That's J trading. Um, and I'm going to share all this stuff in uh, a document with the audience. And I'm looking for you as the audience to, you know, tell me what you think I should trade. Uh, and if I, my logic is bad or not. Uh, and I think this will get interesting. I'm going to probably do you know, a couple trades a week. And I'm going to figure out I have to figure out bet sizing mm-hmm. for different bets. And then I'm going to have themes, right? So I'm looking for more undervalued, significantly undervalued companies where insiders are buying. So if anybody in the Nodi gang or anybody who listens to the pod 
has ideas around that, go ahead and just tweet them to me and just use the hashtag J trading. It could be, <laughs> let's go with J A Y trading, just so it's clear. I mean, if you put J trading without the A Y, I guess we'll figure it out. But let's go with J trading. Um, and let me know. Uh, yeah. And other theories. And let I'm us okay know about. what you think about this first trade. You know, <laughs> yeah. Give us your thoughts. This is not investment advice. You should make your own decisions. The notice have a lot to say about reconciling retail uh retail clothing buying with a an oncoming recession well here's that's, the their, that's their big question for you which is an actually Great. an interesting part of the bet right what what is your thesis there molly what would you think look i Chris. think this is a now or never moment for stitch fix you are coming okay. out of like people are going back to work yep empirically they're getting new job they're going back out into the world i know i certainly am like going back out in the world thinking like i need to lug out a really fancy manicure on sunday before i went on this to this con you know like this is the moment for Stitch yeah. Fix to capitalize on pent-up appetite for mm. cute clothes. Yeah. And if they can't pull it off now, they're never gonna. So, like, yeah. this is, you know, they, they should be going hard with marketing mm. galore saying, if you need new clothes, don't worry. I know you don't know what anybody's wearing anymore. This is what I constantly feel. What are people wearing? What happened in fashion? Stitch Fix should be like, we got you. We will literally yeah. style you for the return yeah. to the world and send it to you at your house. And if they don't go hard now... I mean, but it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to go really hard mm. now and be that like yeah. literal stylist in the mail to save mm. you from looking like you're wearing your three-year-old pre-COVID clothes. Uh, yeah. And I, I think one of the other concepts I have here is that these companies will be takeout targets as they clean up their, you know, businesses. So Peloton, BuzzFeed, you know, other small companies that have gone public, uh, and that lost 80 90% of their value, like we saw with Zendesk going private, I think there'll be some of these moments happening. So as a backstop to the investment, could be wrong here. I do think that M&A is going to become a thing uh, mm -hmm. during the recession where somebody like Amazon, which bought Zappos, and I believe they bought diapers.com. And, you know, they've gone on little uh you know adventures buying other e-commerce brands yeah this feels like a perfect brand for them to buy they've got it a lot customer really base so uh, amazon buying this and if amazon wants to buy it they're probably going to have to double the price or triple the price yeah uh, and they, so, amazon tried to build a competitor and it just went nowhere like they built a, a something like a stitch fix that was like algorithmically yeah. chosen clothes and it just did not it I didn't fly so yeah i think people want stitch fix as an amazon brand i think they want it as a standalone brand with its own aesthetics and its own you know culture uh mm -hmm. so anyway there it is folks uh and go. if you have any other ideas uh i am going to be building uh, a portfolio with you live on the air with full disclaimer my goal is to hold these things for 10 years but i may sell some of them on the show so you may hear me say i'm going to sell them or i'm selling this uh and uh yeah j trading so, okay. is not investment advice j trading is not investment advice it's <laughs> me sharing you might think saying it just in case <laughs> Um, right. But yeah, you know, it's interesting to hear investors talk about investing, whether wherever that comes from. Listen, if you're interested in the stock market, it's been a rough year so far. We all know that. But if you're investing for the long term, you don't need to lose sleep when the market is down. So let me tell you about something. It's called Wealthfront. Wealthfront is an investment app focused on long term wealth, and it's designed to weather any market condition, even the one we're in now. 
With Wealthfront, you'll get a pre-built diversified portfolio that spreads your investment eggs across multiple baskets. It's so easy to use and you'll just be up and running instantly with a beautiful interface. You answer a few questions about your risk level and your future plans. Then you quickly get this personalized portfolio. And when you automate your investments, you can ignore the day-to-day -day volatility and focus on the long-term. Wealthfront was actually voted the best overall robo-advisor by Investopedia. And it's already got a half a million investors using the product with over $27 billion in managed assets. Those numbers, you can't fake them. That's the real deal there, folks. People really trust Wealthfront. And everybody I know who uses it loves it. If you want to invest for the long term, while the market is basically having a clearance sale, sign up with Wealthfront today and get your first $5,000 managed for free. Once again, to get that $5,000 managed for free, Wealthfront.com slash TWIST. This bit of investing wisdom is a paid endorsement from Wealthfront. All right. But right. speaking of, yes, getting back yes. to basics, you have yes. been asking us for more news about startups and investing. And so we have a new segment. Yes. Here we working go. Working title. Series A and M and A. Okay. Huh? Huh? I like it. I like it. It rhymes. Uh, it, rhymes. it is what you say it is. Yeah. And uh, it's let's take a look. It here. rhymes. Yeah. It's better to be clear than clever, yeah. as we used to say in the headline writing game. All right. So we're going to start with an interesting Series A company and then talk about what's happening in M and A. Like I said, okay. very literal. Here's what's happening in the Series A. Uh, our t today's Series A company, no big deal, is coming for Google. Ah. Yes. This Okay, I've been there. <laughs> Good luck uh -huh. with that. Exactly. Yeah. We've seen yeah. this happen before. U.com okay. or U is mm -hmm. this private ad-free search engine powered by natural language processing. So AI-driven okay. results and uh, a highly customizable interface that we'll talk about in a little bit. U launched out of beta today and is announcing this $25 million in series funding. It's mm -hmm. investors. Uh, the round was led by Radical Ventures with participation from Mark Benioff's Time Ventures. Benioff actually led the seed round because one of the things that's so interesting about you is that it's founded by two former Salesforce guys who are PhDs, like science okay. and AI PhDs, a former chief scientist at Salesforce, Richard Socher and Brian McCann, lead research scientist at Salesforce research okay um, and you can see I, I put in their competitor thesis and the bet love it okay so i just did a search for myself which is the first thing everybody should do and um the results are basically comprehensive search which is something i did with mahalo and something that naver uh did in korea first where they give you like here are the tiktok results here are the image results and google started to do this google used to be 10 blue links they copied naver down this path I copied neighbor down this path, you use copying people down this path. Uh, my results included some spam and some low quality sites. Hmm. Uh, they'll work on that. But um, it is uh, the interface is like a seven out of 10. It's not very well designed yet. Um, the logo is completely ugly. Uh, <laughs> and the results are just average. So great that they're starting and you got to judge a company by where they go, right? Not where they start. Yeah. And so being well, ad free. Well, ad free is big. Be. One of the other things is that they say you can. So if you um, look at the top here uh -huh. uh, above this, there's this kind of carousel of search results. They're trying not to do the like the endless scroll. They uh -huh. give you this carousel where you can scroll sideways, but there's a thumbs up and a thumbs down. Part of their promise is that you can actually customize huh. the, these results. So if I like, you know, I'd searched for myself. So if I cruise sideways and I discover Alexander Wood, a merchant from 1772 to 1884, uh, who was the center of a sex scandal in 1810, I can be like, interesting, but unrelated to me, thumbs down. 
And then it'll let me customize my sources and maybe it'll show me like more or less Mm -hmm. from Wikipedia or more or less from Reddit. So that was one of the promises is that you could sort of say, I'm not impressed with these results results up and down is but I can up or down vote them. Yeah, it's an okay concept. Um, It leads to gaming is the challenge. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of people have tried this as well. And as a signal, people explicitly voting isn't as good of a signal as what people click on. And then if they hit the back key and come back. Mm-hmm. So they'll probably quickly learn that that's of little value. And I see they're doing votes up and down based upon each section, not the items in each section. So anyway, there's a long way to go in this. Yeah. The interface is, yeah, just okay. Um, I think they anybody- started out, it is interesting. They started out with like a focus on developers. Like you could search for code yeah. snippets for developers. Oh, and I think you can see that in the interface for sure. Yeah, Their, their bet, the thesis at least, is that you know, people in brands in particular mm-hmm. want alternatives to Google and that Google results have been have been too skewed by ads showing you either ad yeah. results or their own products um, and that there's not really a long term future for ad supported search results because of things like Apple and the European data privacy laws. So they're going to try to monetize by building it sounds like partnerships with actual apps. So they would have app functionality built into the search results. Okay. That's uh, which is a yeah. more interesting thesis, I think, than kind of and, you know, privacy first and search for snippets and all that stuff. But to me, that's hmm. a little more interesting than just like we're an alternative search engine. The first part of the bet, you know, people and brands want an alternative to Google um, and that, you know, there's too many beca- because there's too many ads. Um, the counter argument to that that mm-hmm. I've heard is that people who are willing to pay are willing to pay because it's more targeted. In other words, the best brands eventually win and the spammers can't keep up with the best brands. So if you're searching for hotels in Hawaii and somebody wanted to intercept that result who was an intermediary, let's say, yeah. they can't beat Expedia or they can't beat you know a specific hotel in Maui, the Four Seasons in Maui, whatever it is. you know. And so that's the counter argument to it is that the ads are actually the content and they're really good because over time because it's an auction so what you actually see at the top so yeah i I, I think that yeah the uh, and i will say uh, the counter argument from the business and brand side is that if you're a business who relies on google for Mm -hmm. search results and google keeps changing its algorithm right it's the super black box algorithm they change it and they prioritize for example first ads then their own shopping results yes and then finally some stories and you don't know why those stories were chosen you can scroll like i just did a search for iphone 13 okay and i get ad ad, at like i'm literally it's an entire page talking about on google on google yes i have three ads Mm -hmm. i have the apple website with a bunch of specs Mm -hmm. um i have related questions and yeah. then I have to literally scroll down a page yeah. before I get to any um, like tech site reviews. Yeah. And when you type iPhone into you.com, you get the Apple site first, the Wikipedia, then their news in a carousel, mm-hmm. uh, Wikipedia in a carousel, because what they're doing is they're taking the sections of Wikipedia and letting you, uh, or actually they're taking all the different uh, iPhone pages on the Wikipedia and putting them in a carousel, like iPhone 7 and yeah you know, uh, first generation iPhone eight. So that's clever. Then so they do tech crunch, then they do like, shopping. Yeah. If you were like a CNET or a P like if I do Apple iPhone 13 review, mm-hmm. then the first thing I get is like PC mag or top Tom's guide. 
I could imagine if you were a brand who's frustrated by the Google things, maybe what yeah. you would want to do is buy some app functionality from you mm -hmm. and be like, oh, okay, when you surface this result, let people shop for it directly and yeah. give me a lead or something. I would say, you know, in certain certain searches, it might come up with better, a 20% uh, uh, better experience. And that is always the challenge. And the mm -hmm. challenge for the U.com team, and I hope they succeed, is if you're 20% or 50% better than Google, uh, nobody will change their behavior. You got to be like two times better than Google, three times better than Google to actually get some change in behavior. And uh, that's why it's been very hard to challenge Google, either you need to have a distribution advantage, which is why Bing did okay. Uh, and Apple is right. doing okay with their search right. results. There's actually a search team in Apple. So when you do the spotlight search, do you notice it's getting more and more robust mm -hmm. at Apple, where it shows you, hey, here's apps, here's things in your iCloud, here's the, you know, your photos, whatever. They're doing like their own version of comprehensive search, which is what's on your device. And then they're going into the app level and searching inside of apps. Yep. So you know, that's because those two players, uh, Microsoft has search inside of, they have search inside their browsers and uh, their operating system. And then Apple, of course, has search inside of uh, their devices. Uh, so it's going to be really hard. The chances of success are incredibly low. But I do like people continuing to go after this. The one question I have mm -hmm. is their actual search results. Are they crawling the web when they show organic results? So if I type an iPhone review, mm -hmm. Tom's guy came up in a carousel as number one, and then trusted reviews, number two, etc, then CNET, did they index the web to get that? And are they doing a crawl? Because that's the other problem. There's only like two people or three people really crawling the web. Mm. So when you use DuckDuckGo, you're actually using Microsoft Bing. Mm. Bing is actually crawling the web. I think Yahoo stopped crawling the web. Yahoo used to have a search API. And that's actually a question I have is, is there a company that makes their own search index of the web that allows anybody to use it as an API? That would be mm -hmm. actually a company I would think would be very interesting. But searching the web in real time right now is an incredibly hard task. And this is where network effects become super important. You know, they got yeah. tens of thousands of people working on search at Google, and they figured out how to index Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and, you know, every little nook and cranny of the web really well. So I wish them luck. Uh, and it's a really good Series A company. Uh, they're going to have a really challenging time. This is one of the craziest things you could ever do is try to go over uh, to go against somebody with a monopoly. Mm -hmm. That's 90% in most, mar most markets. The chances of success here are less than 5%, which is why people are making the bet. If you do exactly. succeed, which is why we had to bring it up, right? Because yeah, it's like every, well, what is every point of search worth today? So Google's market cap is currently 1.5 trillion trillion. I would dollars. think that uh, <laughs> $1 trillion of that is based on Google search. I'll give the other 460 billion to YouTube and some other services yeah, they have maybe some cloud stuff that or whatever, means, but mostly search. Yeah. That means every percentage point of search is worth $10 billion in market cap. So there you have it, folks. If you have a 5% chance of hitting but 1% of search, uh, you have a $10 billion market cap company. And that, that's this what is, they... This yeah. is exactly like why we thought about making mer that merch that basically said, but what if it works? But what if it works is the what bet here. Works? And I love people making crazy bets. That's what our industry is all about. And we also don't know what else they have in the works. Right? Yep. yep. So don't, exactly. There's, there's the pitch they invent. It's so frustrating too when you read now that I know better. When I yeah. read the TechCrunch article and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know what they said to the investors. Like I want to see the deck. Yeah. Because somewhere in there, there was a pitch mm. that made Benioff go, 
I'm all in on this and then made these, you know, these second, I mean, this is a, this is a search company with no obvious revenue path that's competing against Google and has raised $45 million. Hmm. So something is in there, either the technology or the eventual plan one assumes Hmm. um, that made people go like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Pre-revenue, 45 million bucks Hmm. invested. Absolutely. Let's go. Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about a new product I have been using. It's called Harmonic. What is it? It's a database that has all of the companies and all of the employees and all of the data around those companies updated every day. So you can search inside this database for companies that have raised a Series A and that have these qualities, that have this many employees, that have this much revenue. It's really interesting how you can slice and dice the data. Now, why would you want to slice and dice all of this amazing data? One, you're a VC like myself. We have to source startups like we want to do outbound and we want to find really interesting companies, maybe B2B companies like SaaS, but we don't want the ones that everybody knows about that are series C and D because our investment window is earlier. So I've literally got my researchers and associates inside Harmonic AI and they're finding these incredibly high quality startups. We email them. The hit rate has been extraordinary. And then I thought about it. Well, my team at inside.com and this week in startups, they sell ads. And they sell ads to a lot of SaaS companies and high growth companies. Well, they started doing searches here and they said, hey, Jake, we're finding really good companies in here. And we've already started to get meetings. Even companies like Brex use the Harmonic database. They find newly incorporated founders to sell to. And we can find like the founder backgrounds. Like, did they go to Stanford or do they have a degree in AI? I mentioned before, like their headcount growth and other metrics. We can perfectly customize these searches and then save them. And if you have great data, and you can get great leads, you can grow faster. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit harmonic.ai slash twist, H-A-R-M-O-N-I-C dot A-I slash twist. And you're gonna get $4,000 off your company sourcing and monitoring. I am just shocked by the the quality level of the data here. So I want you to check it out, harmonic.ai slash twist, H-A-R-M-O-N-I-C dot A-I slash twist. And you get $4,000 off your account. Enjoy, everybody. It's really cool. News from the Wall Street Journal today, which I am mentioning specifically because one, it was an exclusive, but two, it's based on unnamed sources. So Hmm. also not investment advice, make your own decisions. But the Wall Street Journal reported that Stripe told employees in an email Friday that its internal share price was about $29, that it cut its internal valuation by 28%. And its internal share price was now $29 compared with 40 dollars in the most previous internal valuation known as a 409a valuation the move and i'm quoting from the journal lowered the implied valuation of those shares to 74 billion dollars according to one of the people um stripe of course recently raised 600 million dollars at a 95 billion dollar valuation it did not explain its Mm -hmm. decision to lower the internal valuation what is this 409a thing yes so a 409a valuation is a valuation that is done uh, by an independent appraiser. Um, and it gives you a fair market value for a private company's common shares. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's, there's a lot to break down here. You have an independent party say, hey, your common shares, the one owned, the, the ones owned by the founders and the employees are worth this amount. Now, why would you do that? Well, because the preferred shares are the name of the shares bought by investors. So when when that 600 million was put in at 95 million, those are preferred shares. Preferred shares in a stack of share classes go on top of the common shares. Now, when a company goes public and the exit is clear or it gets bought, the preferred convert into common and there's one class of shares typically and it goes public. Oversimplifying here, of course, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of nuance. But 
why do you need to put a value on the common shares? Well, the preferred shares have a series of um, rights that the common don't have. So when they put that money in, they get a liquidation um, preference. So if the company were to sell for but 600 million, the preferred shares would get 100% of that and the common would get nothing. Um, they might get a board seat, they may get information rights, they might get uh, the ability to have pro rata and buy more shares, they may get to approve a sale down the road, they may get to approve the change in management, right, depending on how many preferred shares you have. So the preferred are the professional investors buying into a company. Now, why does that exist? Well, those investors need to have some downside protection because they're putting money at work. And so 99 times out of 100, a company has this structure. There have been some companies that have sold common shares to investors, uh, but it's very rare. So you do this because there's no way to actually know the value of the common shares because nobody's bought them. They were given to people. And that price is the price employees have to pay for them, Molly. So mm -hmm. when they execute their share options, so you go to work at this company, you're the CTO, and they give you 2% of the company, you've got $2 billion worth of shares, but you know, maybe in the beginning, you have but 200,000. Um, you want the the fair market value of the common shares to be low. So employees get to get the gain when the exit happens between the 409A valuation and the eventual exit. Typically, the 409A puts the common at 20%, 30% of what the last preferred was. So here, this is just a way since the market has changed and valuations have come down to make sure the new employees don't get a sky high valuation. So this is in the this is done strategically and fairly, by the way, uh, to correctly appraise what the common shares have in terms of value. Sometimes a company, Molly, will be running out of cash. They have less than a year of cash in the bank mm -hmm. and they're not making money. And the fair market value of the common, if there was $20 million invested in the company and the company's only worth 10 or $20 million in the public markets, you know, in terms of what people would pay for it, not the public markets, literally, but in the market, um, then the common might be worth 5% or 10% of what the preferred shares are worth because the mm. company has the risk of ruin. And so these 409 evaluations are done by these firms. They get updated yearly. They used to cost $10,000 to do. Now they cost five hundred to 2000 to do for early stage startups um and I met, I met a guy who that's what their company does is private market valuations yes. maybe they did this one but um yeah. so okay so but just to sum up so the investors do not get diluted here no this is specifically about this internal valuation so that presumably when and if stripe goes public employees are in a better position Correct. and i would Correct. imagine that this must be in preparation in some way for an ipo there were like a you lot actually, of rumors in the spring that Stripe not, was going to go yeah. public any minute now. Yeah, it's actually not done in preparation. It's done every year. So companies do these every oh. year, basically, right. um, just as good hygiene. Uh, sometimes they'll skip a year because they're not issuing any more shares or nothing's changed with the company. But generally, you'll see startups do this every year. Um, it. And it's literally like appraising the value of your home. Mm hmm. You're just appraising the value of these common shares. So when people do execute their options, you know what they should pay. So the shares are worth a dollar each. Uh, we're going to put the fair market value of common. Uh, you know, people paid a dollar and they're preferred. We're going to put the fair market value of the common at, you know, 25 cents. Mm -hmm. Employee executes their options. The company goes public at a dollar. The employee pays 25 cents for their option and then gets the 75 cents in between. So those transactions then occur gotcha. when the company goes public.
Yeah. Uh, and the noties are pointing out that even though this is a cut in the internal valuation from 95 to 74, that that is nowhere near as deep a repricing as, for example, PayPal has seen in the public markets where it's down over 60% since January 1st. Employees don't understand this. Typically, they have options. They haven't experienced, you know, shares being worth anything. And so it's all very, um, you know, it's all very theoretical for most employees until, you know, you have you meet somebody and they're like, yeah, you know, I worked at Microsoft, I bought this house with my options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I went to Google, and then I went to Facebook. And now I'm at Uber, and I'm going to leave Uber when my four year vest happens, I'm going to find another company, or I'm going to go work at a venture firm. So that's one of the magic things about Silicon Valley is once you move here, you know, people who've won the lottery of right. their stock options, right? Right. And it's like, oh, I wonder who lives in this big house in my neighborhood. And it's like, oh, yeah, that person was at Google. <laughs> yeah. And we're the, you know, 657th employee at Google. They did okay, you know. Uh, and so this is the lottery we have. Really and this do is care, just, right. So you really you hear this as an employee, you really care. But yeah, as a headline, a, it's a little misleading. It's not like a, it's, it's super not a misleading. markdown. I actually, yeah, it's not like the, this is the opposite. Because it reads of like it's a markdown story. No, that's yeah. why I was disappointed with the Wall Street Journal on this. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a mm -hmm. slow news day. And just like, I would say it's in the, um, you know, market collapse porn category of like, <laughs> oh, my God, the world's coming <laughs> apart. Here's another headline. Click on cool, it. Yeah, because you're lower valuation and you're like, oh, and you hear that about Stripe, which is like a money printing yeah. machine. And then you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. what's the company we were just uh, did the story of that um, Sequoia invested in? And it was went from 45 billion down to like six billion the buy now pay later company yeah klarna klarna mm -hmm. that actually is a legitimate you know preferred shares were selling story. at 45 billion and they could only clear market at 7 billion that's a legitimate headline klarna this is a silly headline and the wall street journal should do better do better do um, better do All better. Right. Good to know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you who's doing great today yes microsoft yeah again see, microsoft this might be a j trade keeps this might be a J trade. We might get a second J trade on the same day. I mean, this is not investment advice, but I am saying that my investment oh. professional <laughs> loves him some Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Netflix has named mm. Microsoft as its global advertising technology wow. and sales partner. So we have a double interesting business story. One, Microsoft winning mm -hmm. business from a huge player, Netflix. Yep. But also Netflix is definitely going to do an ad supported subscription plan and Microsoft yep. is going to power it. Amazing. This mm -hmm. is nothing short of amazing. Yeah, this is fascinating. I mean, this uh, is Netflix moving incredibly quickly, which they yes. have to do. Um, yeah. And then Microsoft really, I, I think, interestingly, just you wouldn't think of Microsoft for this, right? As the so, like help you build out ad supported infrastructure. Um, but Microsoft is probably one of the few at this point that is a, a big enterprise software provider like this yeah. who also doesn't have a streaming service. Like Google um, has YouTube, Comcast has Peacock. Apparently, they were both being interviewed as potential partners, according to CNBC. Um, and Netflix COO said Microsoft has the proven ability to support all our needs and blah, 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 tech talk. So here's what you need to know. Um, Microsoft uh, made almost 50 billion uh, in Q3 of 2021. Uh, I just was looking for ad revenue. So this, this is a little bit dated. Uh, but I was looking for the 2021 yearly ad revenue. So at that time, they were doing uh, search and news advertising revenue combined was 2.9 billion in Q3. Oh, actually, here we have it. In Q3 of 2022, uh, they had almost 3 billion in ad revenue. So that's 12 billion a year out of their whatever they have in revenue per year, which is, I think, probably in the 200 billion range. 
So this is not a small amount of revenue for him, for them, you know, this is like 6% yeah. of their revenue. So Microsoft is trying to continue to grow their ad revenue, just like Amazon is because it's really highly profitable. Um, and so Google's revenue is, of course, like, you know, 85 percent 90 percent well, i mean it's 80 percent uh ad revenue yeah um and so you know it's kind of the opposite the companies in terms of you know mirror images uh one makes their money through software and the other one makes it through advertising but it's meaningful mm -hmm. and this is a way for uh netflix to get a really great deal microsoft has the need to grow this and advertising is about scale so you if you get some really lighthouse customer a lighthouse customer is one in our industry the term lighthouse customer means they are so bright that all the other ships can see them from far mm -hmm. away and they are that's where everybody goes they go towards the light right so when you get microsoft gets netflix you know that's a setup that somebody else who wants to follow this path you know might come to them uh hbo max whoever and if they can get more and more partners like that then they control the interface. Some advertiser wants to be on Netflix, which seems like a place advertisers are going to be. And then Ford now has to go to Microsoft through the Microsoft interface. And hey, maybe while they're in, in the interface, they were doing a little bit of Bing advertising or news advertising. Maybe they increase it, right? So it's a huge loss for Google and a huge win for Microsoft mm -hmm. uh, in terms of building their ad networks. And I bet you, I bet you Microsoft was like, you know, we'll take some very tiny percentage. You know, Google might have offered them like, you know, we'll do it, but we want 30% of the ad revenue. Microsoft might have come in and said 10%. Right. We, I don't think that data is available yet on this deal, uh, but eventually it will come out what percentage they get. And uh, I would guess, you know, it's low double digits. So 70, 80%, I would say Google might have offered 30 and they offer 10 if I had to take a guess, yeah. right? YouTube offers 55% to just anybody off the street and they take 45%. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So they would have to give a better deal to somebody bringing so much audience. So maybe they go down to 30, but maybe Microsoft doesn't care about making a profit here. They just want the lighthouse customer. Right. And so they can build uh, that ad business and add yet another yeah. Avenger to the stable. I mean, Microsoft is just absurd. Every single cylinder is firing there. Um, we should note as just a right, preview right. that Netflix is going to report its earnings on Tuesday uh -huh. and they are expecting to have lost 2 million subscribers. Oof during uh the second quarter so i hope they are enjoying today's little stock bump should it be occurring because it's going to be a tough one it's going to be a tough so one. in this j trade and this is not investing advice <laughs> not uh, not investing advice um i would really you know like buying microsoft is seems like you know and again i haven't gone through the numbers and, and drilled down here they seem like the winner in this trade uh netflix yeah. feels yep. like they're getting off of their you know bread and butter but. which was oh <laughs> well no they, you know their their whole brand was around not having advertising and that's what i loved about them mm -hmm. and now putting advertising in it listen i'm never going to pay for that but i know what happens like i pay for no advertising on a lot of services and then it seems like some you know little carve outs exist so you watch some show on hulu and yep. i'm paying for the ad free version but i still get served ads on some things yeah or I pay for ad free on NBA and I still get served some ads, you know, and it's just, I just beat my head against the wall um, with this issue. And I, you know, just looking at Netflix, find myself, Netflix is the fourth service I go to. Yeah. Right now it's Hulu, HBO Max, and Disney. And yeah. 
I literally and I, like and I'm on Netflix. So I sorry to the Netflix nano team. But away. I mean, I've been saying this for months that Netflix is the optional one and it has been for a while. And I think that making it kind of cheaper and more ad supported is probably the right way to go. But I would have liked to see what they could do with a more, you know, I mean, I'm willing to pay a lot more for HBO than I'm willing to pay for Netflix, for example. I was I had almost canceled it and then I started watching this stupid now the show problem Molly is gonna stupid be and great. are you watching a stupid show on Netflix, which isn't do you remember the, the Lincoln name? Lawyer? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I've no I mean it's totally stupid. it's just like a little like, you know, cheese ball crime drama or whatever. And oh, I'm like, perfect. Okay. Like this is great for like procedural <laughs> one season and then I'll probably be out and then I'm definitely canceling Netflix. Yeah, I, you know, I find Hulu keeps having big winners for me. Uh, I like great. Dope Sick. I I think The Bear is a Hulu, or is it FX? Yeah, I like The Bear. I, I go to it through Hulu, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I, I like how they have all that Hulu. FX stuff, like Hulu's, yeah. Hulu is yeah. great. And yeah, Amazon Prime cool. actually has really good shows, like Netflix. Yep. I just I finished The Boy Season 3, which is a little challenging. Oh, yeah, I gotta I like get it. after that. I gotta get yeah. after that. It's actually, See, you know, it's, gonna, it's kind of interesting. They, they really play with a lot of themes on there. Um, but what I hate about this is the culture of Netflix is now going to be forever changed. The culture of Netflix was, we're so good, like yeah. HBO, give us your money and we'll just give you great stuff. It was a very simple trade. And now they're going to say, you know what? Our stuff is really not that good, not good enough for you to pay for it. So we're going to give it to you for free and you monetize it. I love the fact that they challenge themselves and their audience to make that transaction. And now I think this breaks that covenant. It, it breaks that contract. And I am not there for it. I would have preferred for them to say, we're now going to buy out the top you know 50 podcasts or we're going to do podcasts that we think are really interesting right so mm -hmm. to take the spotify playbook but do it without ads because they could afford to they could have afforded to do the joe rogan deal or call her daddy wh whatever they vibed with whatever content they vibed with and then imagine if you could only get that stuff with your netflix well yeah. now anybody who is call her daddy i think it's the i think call her daddy and joe rogan are the two main and the ringer if they had done those three deals at netflix yeah. and they had the vision to do those three deals well then anybody who liked any one of those three and got some value from netflix wouldn't churn so these two million people if yeah. they had those three podcasts those those three podcasts and podcast networks have tens of millions of listeners if you could only get them there maybe they would have saved a million of those two million or five hundred thousand. right i mean this is what i hate about the the kind of like Val the the maximized shareholder value or the CNBC yeah. version of the analysis of Netflix is like sure yeah. okay could you get more subscribers by having a cheaper base yeah. probably fine but uh, fundamentally content is king and that is what people pay for mm -hmm. when they go to streaming services and yes. Netflix did not innovate on anything except for a cheap yeah. you know pile of content that they just like threw at people and mm -hmm. now they're going to make it seem even more like i'm sorry a garage sale yeah. by tossing uh ads in on top of it and it's yeah. like when it comes to streaming people want great content and they want a, a premium experience and yeah. they want star power that's what content is yeah. all about it's not the baseline for every single business but that is what streaming is about and this is just like netflix yeah. did sit on its butt and so Congratulations, also, Microsoft, but yeah. I don't think this is, I'm not sure this yeah. saves Netflix in the long run either. I would have liked to see Netflix get into a music subscription. Uh, and, you know, they could have just been the super bundle. They mm -hmm. could have done news as well. So, you know, I, we, we make fun of CNN Plus uh, because it was horrible. But there's an argument that Netflix could have done their own news network kind totally. of coverage. 
um, and just had like whatever eight hours of news a day, they could have spent 100 200 million on that and had a better, you know, and had a cool product. So I just hate, hate, hate um, them changing their culture from the, you know, elite content worth paying for and going this route. But yep. I, I agree. I, it could work. I think it could work. We'll see. Well, uh, it'll work for like short term numbers. Will it work for like a long term sustainable business? I don't know. I mean, it'll just be like, yeah, it'll be like NBC all over again, right? It takes the promise of streaming and just yeah. turns it into a cable bundle. I wonder if people are going to drop down from their paid tier to free. Yeah. And so that I think is going to be their internal conflict. Like they're literally going to be having circular discussions at board meetings and the rank and file are all going to be debating when they start losing even more paid members because the paid members go, well, why would I pay for this if I can get it for free? Mm -hmm. And it's a recession. And the only thing I'm watching is the Lincoln lawyer. Like, yeah. I don't care if so there's you're ads the perfect that. candidate. I'm already not it's paying like, attention. <laughs> yeah, you're already like, you know what? I'll just go on my phone for... I'm just doing it while I email. So, like, yes, I'm definitely going to drop down to the free, right? I'm like, oh, here's uh, a dumb show on in the background and you can afford while it. I answer so emails. They literally took somebody who could afford it, and they're going to turn you into a free customer, and you're not going to watch the ads. So, they're not going to work anyway, because right. everybody's going to just multitask and be on their phone and turn the volume down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Terrible decision. Okay, let's continue the terrible decisions. I, I oh, heard Peloton is making a terrible decision. This is such a terrible decision. Is it? I don't. Yeah, let's see. Tell us. Okay, what's going so on. Peloton, which had many competitive advantages, not least of which was that it was premium. It had mm -hmm. wonderful content. It had all the things we were talking about with Netflix, and it also had this great thing that I personally know several consumers who made the buying decision based on exactly this. Pelotons were made in the United States. Hmm. That was a huge deal. Did they cost oh, really? a lot? Yeah. Yes, but they were made in the U.S. Got Peloton it. That's has why now they're so decided, well constructed. They were really, they are very well constructed. They're great machines. Like yeah. I, I mean, I am not kidding when I know one person in particular who was like, "This is the only reason that I bought hmm. the Peloton." Hmm. Peloton okay. is now going to stop making hmm. its own bikes and tread machines uh -huh. and outsource all manufacturing uh -huh. to Taiwan. Thank you to, by the way, uh, Andrew Nwanli mm. in our twist Twitter community this week in startup slash TC. He put this story on our radar, tweeted, expecting Jason to address or comment on the news that one Peloton huh. will outsource all hardware manufacturing. Is Peloton now a fitness or lifestyle brand, a software company or something sure. else? So from a okay. cost perspective, this makes sense, obviously, right? Yes. Stop so, I mean, I guess the nuance to this is the design is still being done by Peloton. So, you know, when it says designed in Cupertino, yeah. you know, it's made in China. But made for the in iPhone. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Foxconn is like, yeah, here's how we can, you know, shove more stuff in here and we'll, we'll slap together your design and, you know, make it even better. And, but it's still and designed is, in Cupertino. Our deal is the software, right? Our deal is well, the operating system. Well, but also system. the design of the hardware really matters. So right. what this is saying is they're going to try to squeeze more margin, whatever it is, 10% more margin out of the hardware by manufacturing it in Taiwan. So this isn't as dire as I think it sounds. It means they're probably moving to what Apple does and that works fine. But they're not doing what Tesla does, which is Tesla has its own factories. When you have your own factories, um, you can scale to extraordinary lengths and you can do incredibly innovative things. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, you can basically have materials come in one side and the, the car come out of the other side, you know, as Tesla has proven they can do, you know, to the tune of whatever they're doing a million cars a year. So 
you know, just it's this is what happens when your company is mismanaged, and you have to write the ship. This is a ship writing moment, right? It's and not we should ideal. Give some but, credit, which is that it is a bold move, right? It's a it's a hard decision. I'm sure it was a hard decision. It's yeah. a big cut. It's a, you know, I mean, it's the kind of thing, it's the kind of dramatic move that you pretty much have to make if you're trying to, like you said, yeah. write the ship. And and that's yeah. Peloton's only goal right now is either do that and or get bought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hardware is hard. Um, and I still love my Peloton. I'm still a subscriber. I think people who love Peloton are still subscribers. The market cap of Peloton is at $2.8 billion dollars that is stunning let me find the peak it looks like the peak share price was 162 and now it is down uh 94.8 percent so 95 percent uh and it's down to eight dollars and that is just extraordinary um yeah it's gonna be a hard turnaround but i think that they're going to do it i think this is a company that should be you know, with 2 billion, they still have 2 million members, I believe their revenue is still around, you know, it's close to $2 billion. So, you know, for this company to be worth one, it, the price to sales ratio is like 1.x here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this seems like I'm not making a J trade. But because I, I do, we have to look at the cash in the bank and how much they're burning. Mm -hmm. I do think that this is a, um, this is should be on the short list of a J trade based mm. on my thesis of takeout candidate loved customer base that loves it and has a high ticket price. So if we look at stitch fix and we compare these businesses, mm -hmm. both of them have a very loyal base of users who spend a lot of money each. So and, a, and great products, you know, if you have a great product and a lot of customers who love you and you make a lot of revenue from each one. Yeah, it's a, there's something there, right? This yeah. is not a fake business. This isn't like some SPAC that came out and they never delivered the cars, right you now. Like Nikola no, it's a real or something. Business. Honestly, it's I'm a real still business. Waiting. Like I would have, like, I would be so happy as a consumer if the announcement that Peloton made instead of we're going to outsource our manufacturing to Taiwan, which means it'll take longer and maybe have worse build quality, but I don't know, right? I'm not trying to cast dispersions, but that's less of a sell than made in the USA. If they had announced instead that they were going to do that hardware subscription. Mm. Like, yeah, I am in overnight. Yeah. I sort of it, it's and it's to me, it's a question about it. It, it does make business sense to say, yeah. we're going to make this big systems change, because that's going to save us a lot of money versus we're going to make a system change that will cause a lot of customer acquisition. It's almost the Netflix mm -hmm. model and possibly going to the hardware subscription. Maybe they just like, did the math and they said, no, making this big systems change about manufacturing will save us more money than the short term customer acquisition. And it might be like, maybe I'm a low quality yeah. customer because I'm just paying a hundred bucks a month instead of dropping the like four grand right off of the right out the gate. But I really still hope they do that. I, I think there'll be a lot of options for them to pursue once they the new CEO gets control of the ship. And you know, we, we went through the new CEO's pedigree. Um, he's, you know, a legit guy who's mm -hmm. done stuff like this before. And I believe he's a previous CFO, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So it's kind of who how you send in here is like the fixer. So they sent a fixer in here. And what you're yeah. seeing is fixers fixing. <laughs> and yeah. the previous founder was all over the place and not disciplined. And so this is like the down, this is the downside of the founders can do no wrong yes you know founder authority is really important you want the founder to run the company ideally unless the founder isn't disciplined enough to
to run an operationally hard business. Some founders are super creative. They make a, a category defining product like Peloton. Mm -hmm. There is no doubt that Peloton is the greatest exercise equipment ever made, the greatest, most innovative product ever made, period, full stop. There is nothing even close to it in my mind, except for maybe the tonal, uh, which I think, you know, got a lot of its DNA from Peloton in fairness to Peloton. Um, and I don't have shares in either company, just to be clear. Uh, but I do own both of them. And I can tell you, I watched Tonal copy Peloton and, you know, they're clearly inspired by it. It's that much of a category um, mm -hmm. defining company. Yeah. But a category defining company with bad operations is what Apple did when Steve Jobs was running it without people like Tim Cook. Mm -hmm. And then Steve Jobs got ousted. And then he came back for round two and it was like, you know what? I need to have an operationally sound business. I need people like Tim Cook running it. And now we're seeing the totally uninspired version of Apple today with Tim Cook running it. So they lost the founder innovation and authority. And they just got this incredible operator running it and it's printing money. So it prints money doesn't have yeah. to be inspired. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> just basically all the inspiration that Steve Jobs came up with. Like they just keep releasing, you know, MacBook Airs and mm -hmm. iPhones that are literally cover songs of what Steve Jobs came up with. Like literally, they just added a verse to one of Steve Jobs' great, you know, songs. It's a remix. Like it's yeah. just a remix on the brilliant stuff that Johnny Ive and Steve Jobs created. I, like, and they keep releasing the MacBook Air and I keep buying them. They keep releasing the iPad and the iPhone. I keep buying them. Yeah. Because they're so good. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, they're so classic. It's like the Rolling Stones or, you know, whatever incredible band, they can just keep going on tour and people keep buying tickets. Um, you know, that's how transcendent the product was. I actually believe Peloton is that transcendent of a product that if this person can just get the ship righted and operationally make the math work on the subscriptions and the product sales and the cost structure, they'll be back in the game. So now I'm talking myself into a J trade. Oh my God. <laughs> Talking. Which is obviously not investment advice. Which is obviously not investment advice. Don't Speaking follow me. I've two, never done this before. Two things on that. One, Tonal yes. um, also cut 35% of its workforce, sure, FYI, to cut expenses Smart and readjust to consumer demand. And then, speaking of M&A, I really want to ask you, actually, about this this story that I read in Forbes today about Battery Ventures. Okay, sure. Um, is this, a, this might be a Sunday school. Let's go. I, I didn't read the story. Explain to me what uh, the story oh, is. Oh, maybe. Well, it's related to, I had put it in as the M&A part of Series A and M&A because ah. what Battery Ventures announced basically was two things. One, they announced a $3.8 billion raise, so mega fun. Okay. But also said that their strategy in this downturn, kind of, mm -hmm. is that they're going to use this big war chest to buy out venture-backed companies. Oh, and that they are going to structure more of their growth stage investments to look like buyout deals, which okay. evidently is super unusual. Bessemer Venture Partners launched a similar growth buyouts practice. I'm reading from Forbes, um, but otherwise traditional venture firms have seldom explored this type of strategy. Is this like when there's blood in the streets, go shopping and like go shopping? Okay, yes, that's exactly what this is. If companies were overvalued, there'd be no opportunity, right? So yeah. We, I just bought Stitch Fix shares at a 95% discount to the peak. If it was trading at its peak, I, I wouldn't be bottom feeding like I am mm -hmm. uh, and taking advantage of that. And obviously, like if battery was going to try to buy the company, and it was worth 20 times, you know, it's worth 10, 12 billion, they wouldn't have the war chest to do that. But a yeah. $600 million Stitch Fix, and that's a public company, 
But if a private company was worth 600 million, they have the war chest to actually buy something like that and then try right. to take it public and grow it. So yes, that's opportunistic. The other thing they're saying in this story is their plan is to stretch out the $3 billion over as much as three years. So remember I said in a down market that uh, VCs will not make capital calls because they, or they didn't in the 2008 crises because they didn't want their LPs to have to sell equities and they knew their LPs might be in a bit of a cash crunch too. Right. So they were like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll slow down a little bit here. We'll circle the wagons. We'll work on our existing companies and getting them, you know, operationally sound and we'll opportunistically make small investments. So we don't have to call that capital down, right? Yeah. Now they could be jerks and just be like, I'm going to pound that money because it's in my best interest as the GP. But there's a little GP LP dance that occurs here where it's like, is it okay for me to draw this down? Or the GP, the LP might say like, hey, it would be good if you drew this down a little bit slower, right? So now that I'm in 20 funds and I just announced one of the ones that I put in very small amounts of money. Um, and typically that's drawn down completely uh, at the start of the fund because they're micro funds, the ones I'm looking at. But uh, yeah, sure, it'd be nice if people were like, hey, the market's down, we're gonna, well, you can give us the money over the next three years instead of all right. at once or you know over two, right? So it's just a kind thing to do to your LPs. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, but buyout deals are not what VC funds do. You need to have a group of cutthroat, insane operators inside the business. I don't know battery well enough to know if they have that. I, I suspect this is not a good idea. Yeah, I suspect this is not what venture capitalists should be doing. This is what private equity people should be. And I'll tell you why. Well, and you, dude, you, this, you, I keep saying that all these big funds are moving more toward private equity. Like this is a yeah. thing. Anyway, yes, tell me. Yeah, well, continue. here's the thing. It, the culture of venture is optimism and growth. Yeah, the culture of private equity is um, cutthroat and mm -hmm. making a spreadsheet and then sending in people who don't care what people think about them or the culture who just come in and fire the people who cost a lot of money do pay, you know, do pay cuts or pay freezes, get rid of the kind bars, everything that startups, you know, are it's, it's antithetical to startup culture of pampered employees and growth and joy. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. just cutthroat, right? We're going to yeah. run this business. Um, for optimizing the earnings and we're not going for growth we're not going to have r d we're going to just squeeze every dollar of profit we can out of it because then we can use that profit to pay down our debt because usually they finance the stuff with some portion of debt and we can flip it and the person who buys it then can decide well i got this money printing company do i want the money printing if there's no competitor sure if there's competitors okay well we might have to put some money into r d but if not that's the buyer's issue. The buyer can make that decision. We just made mm -hmm. it look really good. It'd to be fair, be like, there are plenty yeah. of people who think that that's what VCs do. VC writ no. large as a category that they come in no. at some point and are like, oh, I need a return. So I'm going to force a sale of this company. That's I think different. there's a perception that later stage VCs might do like meddling forcing, and optimization yeah. at that level. Certainly that was part of the WeCrash story yeah, and even forcing, the Uber story, which is yeah, VCs so, coming in and forcing a lot of change. Okay, so there's two different things there. Um, there's forcing a sale, which is, hey, listen, we've been at this 10 years, we need to get a return. We need to sell this company, or take it public because mm -hmm. the, the, the window here is but we let you run it. And we didn't get in there and roll up our sleeves and tell you how to run it. Yeah, we just met, we went to the board meetings, we looked at your plan, which is what VCs want to do anyway, they're not designed to roll up. When you go to a private equity firm, you know, they could send in a SWAT team of 10 people. 
to, to go do the HR stuff and to start firing people and do the accounting. VC firms don't have those people. They don't have those fixers sitting there ready to go in and, you know, be the temporary CEO, CFO. Uh, so they're just not staffed that way. Mm -hmm. And then if a company is mismanaged, that is like the edge case of like, this thing is such a disaster that the founder is buying wave machines and smoking pot on planes and, you know, gonna just destroy the whole company. We have no Don choice Julio but like to intervene. Water. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking Don like water, the good stuff. Rivka. I mean, it's literally like yeah. the last ditch effort to save the company. Whereas that is the default behavior of private equity firms. The default behavior is coming in, you know, and setting up that temporary war room like the guy did in the WeWork drama and saying, we're going to go everything with a fine tooth comb. No more kind bars. We're selling everything. We're <laughs> ripping at everybody's getting a pay cut. Oh, you've got a cultural department. Oh, you're doing a retreat. No more retreats. No more kind bars. You know, no more, uh, you know, business travel unless it's approved and you're flying coach. You know, they just basically uh rip out all the joy of working at the company and right. any of the perks i mean so um, yes it can happen with vc but usually only as a result of dramatic mismanagement and that still doesn't and correct. that still is separate from yes. this just kind of interesting move which is you know yeah d changing the the model of vc and i almost wonder if that's the start some of the thing that just started has to happen when your fund gets so big well like, I it's mean, just it so much money like what else are you gonna do you got to start you know, squeezing yeah. out returns however you can, because to return two or three times $3.8 billion it's hard. is really hard. Well, if you own 10% of each company, you know, and you bought into the company when it was a billion dollar company, you spent $100 million. Now, if you get 30 times that, you know, it has to go from a billion dollar company to a $30 billion company. Mm -hmm. Like that's only happened a handful of times. Uber, Airbnb you know, pick the company like, yeah. you know, Facebook, it's, it's very rarefied air. And I think that's what people are going to be faced with is these multi billion dollar funds came up at a time when people thought there would be an unlimited number of Ubers and Airbnbs, uh, and Facebooks and Googles. And it turns out, there's probably not going to be an unlimited number of those. There's going to be, you know, like it used to be a billion dollar company was rare. And then it was like, yeah, we have a 1000 of them. We're going to go back down to a billion dollar companies being a little more rare and certainly mm -hmm. the 10 billion 20 billion 30 billion dollar outcomes being very rare you know, remember when it was like every coinbase investor was a genius the company was worth 70 80 billion and then now it's worth whatever you know under 10 maybe it's worth 10 billion or something uh dropbox was another one you know like that became a 10 billion dollar company like really hard to get there 10 billion is yeah. a very big company yeah uh it's not so easy you can, folks you can kind of that's why. why the ideal fund size for a five six partner firm according to Fred Wilson, and, you know, benchmark is 200 to 600 million. Uh, each person does six, seven bets, eight bets, nine bets, whatever it is. Each bet is, you know, whatever it is, $5 million, you get to, you know, uh, 40 bets in a fund, 50 bets in a fund, 30 bets in a fund, there's like a optimization there. Uh, yeah. That seems to work really well with five partners. $500 million, five partners, $300 million. Um, or at least that was the old numbers. Who knows where it winds up today? Mm -hmm. And there yeah. you go, everybody. It's like Thursday VC Sunday school. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad I brought that up because I thought that was really interesting. And I'm glad you think it's as unusual um, as it yeah. seems to be. I think that's it for that's our it. Thursday okay, let's do show. Our outro. Yeah, great show, everybody. Yeah. Tomorrow, we're going to do two really great interviews. Uh, I sat down with the FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr.
to talk about TikTok. You might remember Brendan Carr, Commissioner Carr, sorry, wrote that letter to Sundar and Tim Cook and said, listen, TikTok out of the app stores, let's go. Yep. Uh, and TikTok has been trying to defend themselves. I've been hearing PR people try to spin it, but I am with Commissioner Carr. Uh, and we have a really important discussion about the very unpopular task of telling people the delightful TikTok should not be allowed in America. At least I our two opinions. Cannot wait to listen to this. I sort of wish I had been there to be the devil's yeah. advocate, but you know, it's. Uh, I brought you up. I brought up it's your gonna position. Be good. Yeah. It's gonna be good. And then, of course, it'll be Friday, so we will have another great OK Boomer from producer Rachel. And as always, That's follow us tomorrow. on the Twitter, Molly Wood, Jason, and TWI Startups. Join the Twitter community at thisweekinstartups.com slash TC. If you want to invest uh, alongside Molly as she invests in climate startups, thesyndicate.com slash climate. You got to be an accredited investor. Uh, sorry, we didn't make the rules. And uh, <laughs> But if you're a climate it. startup, you can apply to our syndicate there too. So oh, and if you have questions, link. you can post a question at inside.com now, inside.com slash questions, and you can post jobs, inside.com slash jobs. Yeah. So I'm still tinkering on my little product over there and uh, we're making good progress. So inside.com slash questions, inside.com slash jobs. You can post a question for free, post a job for free, and uh, I might just tweet it for you. Uh, rate and subscribe, yada, yada. YouTube.com slash this week in if you want to join us every day uh, and watch live 10 a.m. All 10 right, everybody give a Pacific. thumbs up. My God, so many comments uh, from the notice. Thank you so much. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.